0: Yes, it's time for another edition of Tangentially Speaking, and I'm your host, Christopher Ryan. This week, we're going to be talking with Tucker Max, fame, bad boy, author, uh, huge bestseller, interesting dude, as you'll hear, way, way smarter than the sort of uh, cultural meme would have it. Um, he's, He's an interesting cat. I actually spoke to him on the phone years ago, three or four years. Four or five, four years ago, something like that. Maybe a little before *Sex at Dawn* came out. Um, long story. I, I was checking into someone who claimed that they had worked with him, and and he was nice enough to uh, get back in touch with me. We chatted for a while. Turned out he went to high school with my literary agent, which was which was interesting. She remembered him as being a very smart guy, um, but by that point, he was famous for his frat tire books which um you know sort of set him up for uh being a hard drinking, lying, fucking puking, you know, woo kind of dude uh which I guess you know he may have been on some level but uh as you'll hear there was always a a very fierce and acute intelligence watching what was happening, observing the whole thing and it's a great story how he went from essentially getting fired and kicked out of a series of jobs, even working for his dad, if I remember correctly, um, to huge, mega best-selling author. Um, You know, on one level it seems accidental and sort of just pure happenstance, but on other levels you can see that there was, uh, as I say, a very astute intelligence, watching the whole thing, observing and and making some pretty savvy decisions along the way. Talking out my ass, the sub podcast, if there's such a thing as a sub podcast or the other podcast that I'm setting up is coming along well. uh, I think I've mentioned uh, before that that's going to be at least, I'm going to do at least two episodes of that per month and uh if you donate uh, 20 bucks or more you will automatically get those if you want them uh and in fact anyone who has donated up to this point no matter what the amount is i'm going to send you a code so you will also um you know be a member of that for the first year uh and you know, as i think you know those will be stories from my traveling days crazy shit i did involving sex drugs little bit of rock and roll some some criminal activity although uh I I have to no real criminal activity <laughs> for the NSA yeah if I say anything that uh, is criminal it I'm making it up and that's that'll be an exaggeration I'm sure uh, <clears throat> anyway uh listen the coolest thing about this podcast the one you're listening to right now Aside from the fact that I get to meet really interesting people and hang out and hear their stories and that they trust me with their stories and and, uh, and often open up in ways I wouldn't anticipate, which always makes me feel honored and uh, wonderful, uh, is that I connect with people, listeners. And see, this is the danger of all this stuff, especially with with the talking out my ass thing, because yeah, I'm going to be telling stories and I feel like, Hey, it's just me and friends. And I really feel that way about a lot of listeners. And the more I get to meet some of you, the more I feel that way. Um, and I say that it's dangerous because anyone can listen to it. You know, the cops, the NSA, as I said, you know, um, the people who hate my fucking guts can listen to it. And, and who knows if, if I say something they could use to hurt me in some way. So it's a strange thing. And, you know, I, I really admire Duncan and um and his nakedness that uh that he is like his calling card on his podcast. He's just so amazingly transparent and open and and uh I really admire that, but it worries me too. Um because you put this stuff out there and it's like wow, that's it's out, you know, and, and you don't control whose hands it falls into. So I, I need to think through a little bit some of the stories I'm going to tell. I mean, they're just stories, so uh I don't think they're admissible in courts of law. But anyway, I'm I'm gonna to try to be as transparent and open hearted as I possibly can in the tradition of the great Duncan Trussell without uh landing myself in jail in the tradition of uh, Ari Shafir and his ongoing feud with the TSA. <laughs> Not that he's in jail, but sometimes it looks like that's where he's headed. Um, anyway, I was saying it's it's amazing to meet people who listen to the podcast. I mean, just since we've been here in, um, in Portland, we've met uh, all, all, all kinds of great people who've gotten in touch saying hey i hear you're in i hear on your podcast you're in portland you know let's have a beer whatever Uh, brian paul justin um andrew and celeste uh you know off the top of my head these are all people i've met in the last couple of weeks who are fucking fantastic people really really nice people who reached out because they they felt like they already knew me a little bit and uh so it's it's really great to to connect with people like that and I'll tell you one thing though it's a little eerie because you're out you know I'm out having a beer with somebody I've never met before it's the first time we're out and uh and I'll say something about whatever and often the person I'm talking to says oh yeah that's when you know when you got out of college and you went to that thing I was like man, I've never met you and you've heard my stories. It's, it's eerie. It's strange. It's hard not to be boring. You know, it's like, I'm not repeating myself, but I am what the hell. Anyway, um, in, a, in addition to the, to the local people we've met, um, Mandy, if you're listening, hi, Mandy in Boston is hand, handling, um, lining up sponsorships for the podcast, which is really wonderful. And she's doing a great job with that. Richard in Japan, who's doing some really interesting stuff, combining mm, eroticism and cooking. In, uh, I'll, I'll get into that in more detail. He'll probably be a guest on the podcast at some point, um, if we can get ourselves into the same part of the world. He's doing some really interesting work over there and, and we've had some great conversations. Also want to make a, give a shout out to Nathan in Western Australia and uh, Terry in Calgary. Thanks for your support and your emails. I don't want to use full names because I don't know, you know, I want to protect your privacy too. I don't know who wants me to use their name or doesn't want me to use their name, so I'll just stick with first names. This edition of the podcast is brought to you by Squarespace. Uh, Squarespace is one of our earliest uh, sponsors, so we really appreciate their support along with uh, Shore Design t-shirts. Those two uh, have sort of been with us from early days. Really appreciate it. Squarespace, uh, just like anything you hear me talk about here, is something that's good. It's something I believe in. Their customer service is fantastic. The web pages that you can make with their service are really slick, great-looking pages. They've got all sorts of integrated services now. All the every uh, package that you could get from them includes um, sales. You can sell digital stuff. I'm going to be selling uh, talking out my ass through Squarespace, I believe. I don't even think I'm going to have to to host that. Um, on a separate server. I think I'm going to host it right at Squarespace. We'll see what the what the audience numbers are. But assuming it's not a, a big audience, too big, then uh, we'll just run it right through Squarespace. So we'll be seeing how that works. Anyone who's bought any T-shirts from us uh, at chrisryanphd.com already knows what it's like to buy through Squarespace. Pretty cool, everything's really slick, looks good, easy to do. If you run into a dead end, you just open a ticket or you know they've got a huge um, uh support forum. You can look in there. you can see people who've run into the that issue in the past. If you don't find it, just open a ticket with them. They get back to you within hours. They're fantastic customer service. They're all based in New York. they're you know American jobs. Help your brothers and sisters. So, Squarespace. Check them out. Squarespace.com. Squarespace. Squarespace, The all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website, portfolio, and online store. For a free trial and 10% off, visit Squarespace.com and enter SEX at checkout. S-E-X. Easy to remember. A better web starts with your website. And you guys know how much I love Shure Design T-shirts. ShureDesignT-shirts.com. The uh, discount code there is SEXATDAWN. I think you get 20% off. Might be 15, might be 25. I don't remember. I'm sorry, but doesn't matter. Great stuff. Beautiful designs. I'm personally very partial to the octopus shirt. Cassie's got one of those. She's got a whole shitload of stuff. And um, dresses. They make really sexy women's dresses. Beautiful that stretchy, stretchy cotton stuff that Bennett makes out of Thai pubic hair or whatever the hell it is is pretty amazing. Um, check them out, suredesigntshirts.com. Of course, if you want to get a Sure Design T-shirt with any sort of Tangentially Speaking logo or Civilized to Death or Paleo Modern or the very funky Sex at Dawn design, just go to chrisryanphd.com. Look at the store, and there it is. You'll see all sorts of different new designs that uh, we just got in from Sure Design. And, of course, last but not least, this podcast is sponsored by Ting. Go to sexatdawn.ting.com. 98% of people, this is what I'm told, 98% of people uh, with mobile phones would save money if they shifted over to Ting pretty cool the average monthly bill for their customers is 21 bucks so think about what you're what you're paying for your mobile phone and deduct 21 bucks from that if you're an average user and you multiply that by 12 and that's what you save in a year probably you know roughly do the numbers that more than pays for a new phone so you know, this whole thing where like, oh, they're giving me a new phone for, you know, a hundred bucks and blah, blah, blah. Bullshit. You end up paying for it. They're not giving you anything. They're just selling it to you at an inflated price. Anyway, that's sexadon.ting.com Check them out. They've got uh, some pretty cool, uh, pretty cool stuff there. Hope you like it. If you listen to Joe Rogan, you know, he talks about them. Uh, and in fact, that's how I got into them. I was on Joe's show, heard him talk about it, looked it up, liked it so much. I ditched my iPhone, got a Samsung just so I could go with Ting, actually, which might not have been that great a move, um, financially speaking, but I'm happy with it. I'm happy with the phone and really happy with the service. So, com. Okay, I think that's all the preliminary bullshit here um, that I need to cover We're going to go straight into Tucker Max and uh, really hope you enjoy this podcast. Funny, when we were recording it, we were at his apartment in Austin, which is a penthouse up on this beautiful building. I mean, just views everywhere. Fantastic place. And um, by the way, three people have ever had three best-selling books on the New York Times list in nonfiction at the same time. Tucker Max, malcolm gladwell michael lewis so the dude is in some pretty uh interesting company anyway the <laughs> the beautiful penthouse made me think of that um anyway we're in his little studio there and we're we're uh just start, we were recording this on his equipment and you'll hear i think <laughs> lightning struck boom it must have hit the building it was incredible um and the audio got a little weird after that. But I think there was some kind of something burned out or something. But uh, <laughs> excuse me, I think we've um, we fixed it. So this is us at Tucker's apartment. And uh, I really hope you enjoy the the conversation as much as I did. I really enjoyed meeting this guy. And uh, yeah, he's he's much more than than what you might think. So thank you very much. Bye.
1: Baby, what's the big deal? Feel what you want Say what you wanna say You're gonna die one day For example, I could kiss you Just because I want to What's the difference if you turn away
0: All right. I'm here in the in the studios of Tucker Max, the beautiful new studio, right? You just sort of got it set yeah, up recently. brand new, right? Podcast yeah. studio. So we're sort of popping the cherry. We in are. Yeah, we, we are. We are popping Tucker Max's studio cherry, even as you listen. Uh, it's a rainy, blustery day in Austin, Texas, yeah. man. it was Not many good. of these. It's drought normally here. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I guess it's welcome. I woke up this morning thought I was in fucking Portland. Right, right. <laughs> it's crazy. So, um we're going to just for people who are who are interested in following the whole thing we're going to have a discussion for an hour or so that'll be for this podcast that you're listening to now but then if you want to continue and and hear the continuation of this conversation we're going to just take a break and then uh, record tucker's podcast where will
2: people find that Uh, that'll be on Mating mating grounds or it'll be on itunes it probably won't be up i'm not sure when you're putting this one up Ours won't be up until about maybe July or August, so it might be a while. It'll be a while, yeah. yeah. I'll put this up before then. Um,
0: okay, so Tucker Max. Uh, anyone who doesn't know who Tucker Max is hasn't really been paying attention recently. You, I, Someone told me, I think John Durant told me, that you are one of three people who's ever had three bestsellers in no. nonfiction at the same time
2: yeah. me malcolm gladwell and michael lewis now have the three of you ever gotten together no they don't <laughs> they don't want to hang out with me they have better shit to do <laughs> as do you but,
0: i'm sure uh but that that would be an interesting dinner you know that would you. be no that would yeah. be
2: actually yeah, yeah. no I know, yeah, that would be fun you think they'd
0: be sort of like you know, they'd begrudge you your spot at the table because the two of them were, like, avowed intellectuals and who, what the fuck are you doing here? Yeah,
2: you know, I don't know. That's actually a good question. <laughs> I don't really know enough about them to, to like, know, that the, you know, snobby elitists or real thinkers or whatever. Um, I
0: suspect yeah. the latter, honestly. I, I, uh, I was sitting at this table yesterday uh-huh. recording with John, John Durant, right, uh-huh. you know, and I, we had a good time. It was a great conversation, but the one... You know, one area that we really disagree on is Steven Pinker. Right.
2: Oh, of course. Oh, John loves – he worships Stephen Pinker. Stephen is his yeah. – figure, and him. I sort of think Steven Pinker's a bit of a dick, but uh, – He's both. He is a little bit of a dick. Yeah. Well,
0: everybody's sure. a little bit of a dick, but, I mean, I think – I mean, I don't know him personally, so I'm talking out my ass as right. usual. Which should be the name of the podcast. <laughs> oh, Talking you know. Out Your Ass with <laughs> Dr. Christopher Ryan. Who wouldn't listen to that? You would have had no idea who you are. <laughs>
3: that
0: would be amazing. Uh Yeah, yeah. I, I thought of calling this shooting the shit. You know? That's not bad. Talking Out Your Ass is way better. <laughs> Way better. It really, there's a picture, you know. Dude, I gotta... know.
2: Like with a spread butt cheeks and a little mouth in there. Yeah, I can that see the t-shirt amazing. now, right? That would be amazing.
0: Well, I mean, the problem, tangentially speaking, this guy did a graphic, which uh, I don't know if you saw Cassie was wearing the t-shirt the other day. And it's really cool. It's like uh, like that Hunter S. Thompson, you know, like right. crazy. It was Ralph Stedman, I think, was the illustrator who did a lot of Hunter S. Thompson's yeah, right. right, right uh-huh. You know what I mean? Like ink spots and right, right, splashes mm-hmm. all over And it's tangentially speaking, and it's got like a Rolling Stones mouth and teeth, and you can see it's talking, but there's saliva spraying all over the place. And when he first presented it to me, everybody was like, oh, that's great. And I was like, doesn't that sort of suggest I
2: spray? You know, like. I I foam at the mouth (laughs) when I talk. (laughs) I'm rabid. I mean, what the fuck is this? Which That would be really disturbing if I was talking about (laughs) that. Well, that's the image that came to my head. It's like, oh, that could be even worse, Yeah, That would be bad.
0: All right, so uh, vocal diarrhea with Dr. Christopher Ryan. (laughs) What the fuck are we talking about? We've already... I don't know. We were talking about... Oh, Steven Pinker. Pinker. He's a dick. So I was thinking, like, from what I've heard of Steven Pinker and seen on on media and stuff, he seems to take himself extremely seriously. Well, he teaches
2: at Harvard
0: (laughs) and (laughs) MIT and, yeah, blah, blah, blah. But but Malcolm Gladwell, I think he, he only has a B.A.,
2: I don't even know. Yeah,
0: and he's, like, really upfront about, like, hey, I'm no scientist. I am I just, right. like, use other people's research. Right, but that's, research. that's an
2: affected posture. He does that on purpose. He's very smart. Oh, he's super smart. No, but I'm saying but, he's marketing you know, smart. Smart
0: too. and egotistical asshole aren't necessarily the same but, thing. But
2: I'm saying Malcolm Gladwell is so smart and understands signaling so well that mm. he understands the best way to signal high status is to counter signal. Yeah. And that's... Like, yeah. I mean, there's a reason I wear the same awful shit every day. Yeah. Because I'm, I like, that's the same, it's the same idea. I'm yeah. just not as sophisticated as Gladwell is. Well, you don't but, have, your hair's not as long. Right, exactly. You'd have to get a perm exactly. to pull that shit off. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the reality is, I, I would bet any amount of money on a psychological level that Pinker's just far more insecure than Malcolm Gladwell is. Well, yeah. and that's what makes someone an egotistical asshole, is insecurity. Right,
0: because mm-hmm. if I mean you're you're right. I don't know if you're if you're aware of the research that backs you up, but yeah. there are studies showing how does it work. They show the same images of the same men to women, and the women are re, uh, rating them in terms of attractiveness. Right. So the guy's wearing like a t-shirt and you know whatever mm. dumpy jeans or whatever, low status suit and tie, high status. Clothes that indicate that the guy just doesn't give a shit. Right. Highest High status. status. <laughs> yeah. It's true. Yeah. No, it's totally true. Right. Yeah. It's like, wow, that dude is so self-assured he doesn't even have to play the game.
2: He doesn't have to play by your rules. Right. He can make up his own rules. Yeah. I call
0: that the power of not giving a fuck. hmm And in fact, when uh, Ted invited me to give a talk and they said, you can talk about whatever you want, right. I thought, maybe I'll talk about not giving a fuck. Right. But then I thought that might be so subversive for Ted, you know, because they're all, like, guys who give a fuck. Meaning, right. Right, yeah. yeah, We're going to change the world with this doodad I invented. Uh, Yeah, I don't give a fuck.
2: Well, your first talk at TED can't be anything except about, you know, like sex and free love and whatever. Yeah. Those topics. Like, Yeah. Like for second, third one can be totally different. <clears throat> well, there things.
0: won't be a second or third one.
2: Why? You don't think they're going to invite you back?
0: Oh, no. I got in all sorts of trouble at TED. Why? I, oh, I, I, well, I've never
2: been invited to TED, so I'm not privy to <laughs> how that works. What happened?
0: Well, I mean, I've told this story before on the podcast, so I won't go into it too much. But um, what happened was that they micromanaged the fuck out of that. Oh, well, Ted, did you not realize that? Oh, my god. Well, I mean, like, look, like... I've given a lot of public presentations. so right. I And they've seen them, right? They invited me because they saw other stuff I'd done. Right. So, And then they were like, you can talk about whatever you want. So I thought, great. Okay. They're, you know, <laughs> like, they're cool, right? Yeah. But then, as we got closer to the date, I had to do all these um, pre uh, Skype, yeah, you right. know, and run they, it by exactly. them and all that. Oh, they yeah, which is fine. There's it's, a
2: reason their talks all look
0: the same. Yeah, it's not an accident. Yeah, and so and that's fine. It's their platform, right? If you're mm-hmm. going to someone else's show, you know, and they say Play wear a their blue shirt, role. you wear a fucking blue shirt, right? That's fine. But what what really bothered me was the day before the dress rehearsal. We're in Long Beach. We're at the event. The day before, the last, you know, just going over, making sure everything is the way. There's a slide in this presentation, which I actually used at the paleo thing, that's got a gorilla in one corner, a bonobo in the other upper corner, and in the middle, this friend of ours. And the gorilla's lying on his back. I've been talking about testicular volume, because testicular volume indicates the promiscuity of the female of any species, right? So I... Pointed out in their graphs and all the shit about how gorillas have very small testicles right. and penises because right. the competition's between the individuals, not between sperm cells. Compared to gorilla, um chimps, and bonobos, where the promiscuous mating leads to sperm competition, right. no, and I, therefore... I read sperm wars. I know. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. you know, I'm well, very sperm familiar wars... with Baker's uh, research, or the whole field of Baker's. Yeah. Research. So, and in the middle is this friend of ours, right? right? So the the bonobos got huge balls. The gorillas got no balls. And this friend of ours is sitting in a hammock wearing a speedo, uh, and he's got pretty big balls. Right. And it says, a "Gorilla bonobo Italian," right? And everybody. That always gets a laugh, right? Of course. So
2: at uh, Ted, and they've seen especially this. because Italians are basically subhuman. Like they're they they are sort of in between us and and chimps. Oh, for me, it's because it's
0: if you just say human, that's not funny, right? Right, and also the whole thing like you got the big balls, you know, like no, no, you're busting my but balls. Also the here. other
2: the other joke is Italians are basically subhuman. <laughs> like, they're... well, I wasn't making that joke. Well, well that's the joke I would have made. Yeah, like, you're going to put the African. Right. Like, no, 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 no. I wouldn't. Jew. Put, no, 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 no. Jews, Jews are almost super superhuman, human, right? Exactly. And, and and the African is like, that's just straight racist. That's not funny. Yeah. Like, like yeah. And, and the thing is, Africans aren't, don't even, you put me in a room full of Africans and a room full of Italians, I will, mu- or give me a choice, I will much prefer the room full of Africans, they're going to be more human than the Italians. <laughs> Absolutely. Have you hung out with Italians? I've hung out with a lot of Italians. Okay, so I'm an
0: honorary member of the mafia. They don't
2: remind you of chimps. I like chimps. Okay, generally, but but I didn't say not disparagingly. Do they remind (laughs) you of chimps?
0: Not that much.
2: Loud, smelly, fight a lot. Pretty strong. You're talking about
0: my family, dude. What what the fuck? I'm not even Italian. I, that's Irish. You're talking about the no, Irish. Irish is totally different. That's loud smelly and... fight
2: a lot. Jeez. Oh right. But they're they're also like that's a different loud smelly fight a lot. <laughs> it's a different yeah, smell. It's totally different. Totally different. <laughs> they cry when they get obviously drowned. they kill themselves yeah. and like no Italian commits suicide. They're too stupid. <laughs> <laughs>
3: So I take it you're now, not
2: Italian. Right now I'm going to be kicked off Chris Ryan's podcast. I, I, that would not be some offended. shit.
0: Yeah, exactly. No one's ever been kicked off my podcast. Uh, yeah. Um, so what the fuck are we talking, We're talking about? about oh, you so, so the tenth thing. So so they so the last fucking day, right. twenty four hours before I'm going to go on stage, right. they say, the, you, we think we think that one might be a little too creepy. It's over the line. Creepy. We're afraid Italians will be offended. I'm like, fuck, you tell an Italian he's got big balls, he's not going to be offended. That is not an insult. I mean, are you fucking, you ever been to New York? So anyway, they made me pull the funniest slide, I mean, the one real, like, laugh point in in the presentation. That didn't enrage you? It fucking drove me crazy. That's why I'll never be invited back, because then the next day when I went on stage, I was like, fuck these guys. I'm going off script. So I did. I went completely off script. Right. I even said, "I'm going to go off script here," and I looked at Chris right. Anderson, the, uh, the guy. Oh, you know, I no. could just yeah. see him go like, yeah. "What? Yeah. What do you mean you're going off script? Nobody goes off script." And I uh, and I made my opening joke. It cost seventy five hundred bucks to go to TED. Right. Okay, which I didn't know till we were there. So the audience is. Did you, you don't have to pay? No, to I pay was invited, right? But they don't pay the speakers. Yeah, you know? yeah. So they've got a great business plan. Oh, dude, you know, it's fantastic. fantastic. Yeah. Anyway, so. Uh, but, you know, I'm there and it's like everyone is either famous or a venture capitalist or a CEO right. or like somebody who's like, you know, invented something. Right. Yeah. Right. They're all white. Right. Right. Except for like the, you know, some like uh, choreographer from right. New York who's right. world famous for his right. dance and whatever. But it's like 90% white and, uh, you know, and the others Indian, you know. Right. But, um, Anyway, seventy five hundred bucks. So I go on stage and I say my opening joke is, "It's a dream come true to be on on the stage at TED. This is amazing. The only thing that could be better would be to have so much success and money that I could afford to be in the audience at TED." <laughs> <laughs> Nobody laughed. Oh, are
2: you kidding? Oh, that's funny. <laughs> Nobody yeah, laughed. Those man. people are too serious. Yeah. Oh, you can't
0: laugh. Well, Stephen right, Pinker's right, right. a big fucking TEDster. Oh, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah.
2: I mean, so is whatever you got on the list. You so know. they
0: didn't even. I don't I don't know what that... It's enough about Ted. I'm starting to sound like a bitter, bitter dick talking about Ted all the time. Yeah, I mean... Because, I mean, after all, they did invite me, and it was nice, and right. over a million people have seen my talk in mm-hmm. a month, and, you know, yeah. so that's pretty cool. Um, But uh, what the fuck are we talking about? Michael Lewis. I think Michael Lewis is a great writer. You ever read his mm-hmm. stuff? Oh, yeah. I no. mean, I don't like financial... I don't really yeah. give a fuck. I mean... He's not a great
2: writer. He's a great storyteller. Yeah. Which, to me, is a higher yeah. compliment. Um, I I think he's a very good writer, of course. That's what I mean. I mean, he
0: it's He makes something that's essentially really boring,
2: really fun to read. Two things are not the same, unfortunately. Which two things? Writing and storytelling. What's the difference? So most people who consider themselves sophisticated and read the New Yorker and literat the literati, right? Yeah. They uh, actually look down on storytelling. Like storytelling is not rewarded in literature. Mm. Great writing, in quotes is what's rewarded you know great uh you know all uh, oh, this amazing sentence and this amazing comparison anecdote and blah 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 i mean you know like david foster wallace is the apotheosis of great writing mm. to the literati right okay and don't get me wrong i mean extremely smart man right come on who's actually read infinite just get the fuck out of here <laughs> i mean come on Where, uh, i mean that book is 1,500 yeah. pages yeah. of a lot of genius, but also a yeah. lot of shit that should have been cut. Tom Pinchin. You ever read Oh, Pinchin? my God. <laughs> like, yeah. five pages. And I was like, okay, dude. Yeah. Like, you need to go see a therapist and be honest <laughs> with yourself. and Get the fuck away from me right when you want to tell me a story come back and then I'll listen right. you know
0: well but yeah your your point is well taken and Malcolm Gladwell is also a really good
2: storyteller fantastic storyteller
0: All, it's, it's so formulaic though I mean I sometimes laugh because every Malcolm yeah. Gladwell thing I especially in the New Yorker which I do read uh, starts out you know on Tuesday September 7th so and so walked into blah 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 it's like once upon a time just say once upon a time fucker because that's what you mean you know That'd <laughs> be great. Uh, yeah, if a
2: Malcolm Gladwell story, that would be amazing. Yeah, it is formulaic, but I, at the same time, there's not a whole lot of ways to effectively tell a story. Yeah, and and so I don't, yeah. I i don't, I. Okay, it would be a little cool if he, he <clears throat> did a bunch of different things, but he does the thing he does. He does so well that it's like okay. You know, yeah. No, like, I don't
0: begrudge him. A lot of my, people are bitter and nasty. You know, he's not really smart. He's he's stealing other people's ideas. Just, Fuck you. He's jealous. packaging it. You're yeah, jealous exactly. That
2: he's successful and yeah. they're not. And some something about his success to them, whoever his critic is, reflects their failure. Right. And it's not has nothing to do with him. It's a hundred percent to do with them. Okay.
0: So that leads to what for me is the most interesting thing to talk to somebody like you about, which is, uh. The, the sort of the, the psychological adaptation to all this stuff, to success, right. to to money, to fame, to, to resentment. That's to, the biggest one. Yeah. It's all. Yeah. I heard you talking a little bit about, about this last night. night. Yeah. yeah. But I was at the other end of the table. I couldn't really hear it. But I'm really interested in that sort of stuff. So your your let's just for sketch it out quickly. Like, what's your trajectory? How did this happen to you? Did you set out to be a writer or storyteller? No. Oh, hell no, dude. Yeah.
2: I was so I went to the University of Chicago for undergrad. Uh, went there for econ. Ended up graduating three years with a, a different degree, basically like a their their fancy term for a pre law degree, uh, and then went to Duke for law school. Uh, got an academic scho- white guy got an academic scholarship to law to a top ten law school. So how about that, huh? In what sport? Uh, no, academic. Oh, academic. The Duke oh. Law School. Like I didn't get a scholarship to undergrad. It's Division three. They don't give sports scholarships. Oh, and really? I'm not a good enough basketball player. Well, when get- you said white guy. I-, I immediately thought you were talking about sports. No, 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 right? no, yeah. no, no. No. Uh, no, there are white guys who can get sports. White guys get sports scholarships that they earn. Mm. I I got an academic scholarship to a top ten law school, which is like ironic but also like what white guy gets that right i was pretty shocked at that so um, you
0: kicked ass at chicago yes yeah. i did real well i
2: graduated in three years summa cum laude um you know like uh whatever i did real well in the uh lsat i did you know like i did good enough that like if duke wanted me they had to give me money because i was going to go to uva or harvard right. or otherwise um mm-hmm. and they duke was in that phase where they were trying to Buy their way into the top ten, and the uh, way you do that is by giving a ton of money to to the kids who get into the top eight schools, and you draw them out of there and you put them in your school. Mm-hmm. And Duke did a pretty good job at that. Um, so that's that's the only reason I got not academic scholarship. scholarship. I did earn it, but it wasn't like I was you know so bright that they. I was I had such a bright sun around me that they had to like I love it when the gesticulating of how smart get, you are knocks the mic knocks over. The <laughs> mic out. Yes, thank you. Captain beautiful Captain Poetic Justice for that. Um anyway, so uh so after that, um yeah, so I went to Duke. Uh but at that point in my life I was whatever, twenty early twenties. And I was oh dude, you would have hated me. In fact, I would have hated it. I still fucking hate you. Well, what are you talking about? Even worse. You should, see, you should see this apartment, ladies and gentlemen. You'd hate him, too. It's a, but, dude, it's cheap. You know, that's the thing. I'm in Austin, Texas. It's sitting yeah. in San Francisco yeah. or New York or yeah. L.A. Oh, man, this New is, York. Can right. you imagine this, this place in New York? This is, a, what, a fifth to a tenth of what it would cost in New York. Yeah. Right, of course. That's why I can have a 3,000-square-foot penthouse apartment. because I live in Austin, Texas. Yeah, right. well, that's why we live in Portland. I mean, I do a lot of Portland's work in, in L.A., too. and yeah. it's cheaper to live in Portland and, and fly you, to L.A. No doubt. Yeah, no, pff- no
0: doubt. Forget it. Anyway, so, so, right, so you go so to. Do, I was Why sort of, would I have hated you?
2: I, I, You're, an I, I, You're an arrogant fuck. But worse. So was I. I was an entitled uh, shitbird. Is what, what I. Shitbird is my favorite term. Shitbird, yeah. Because <laughs> That's I was a good term. so like all the reasons I, I get. I, I, I'm not a big fan of the sort of argument against white privilege because for the most part. It to me it comes from a very disingenuous place, but there are parts of it I think that are very valid. I represented all the parts that make that argument valid. Like I was the worst dude. Like I thought like everyone who was in art or creative endeavor was a pussy, and I was gonna be a master of the universe, and I was gonna fucking go into finance or i banking or management consulting or a lawyer, and I was gonna fucking own everything. And you know you know you know you know that is some lightning.
0: Dude. God does not like that. Doesn't like that. <laughs> I, already, I
2: already changed that path, man. All right. You can tell. Holy like, shit. If, tell, I don't know uh, if
0: you guys could hear that, but that was like ooh. a lightning strike next door. I know. Wow. And the thunder was with the lightning. Yeah. So that means it's that right on top of us. I could have hit like. That could have hit Might have hit, hit your, the building. Your, uh, what's it called? A lightning rod. On yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah.
2: Um, should we go check on them? Because it's a podcast. We can edit this. Should we go check on it? Make sure everything's all well,
0: right? I think they're just laughing.
2: I don't think anyone's dead. If you want to,
0: we can. That's right,
2: yeah. Um <laughs> If it's any real problem, they'll come in here. I got hit say. by lightning once, by the way. Did you? Yeah, yeah. Indirectly. It's, but anyway, let's talk about you being a right. shitbird. So uh That's, right. So I was the sort of guy that like like you know, had the worst I was I was the worst type of uh, like white alpha male type personality. Like you know, like uh, like the, the, the bonfire of the vanities master of the universe personality, you know? And um and, I like, I think about like some of the ideas I had and what I thought. And I was like, man, I was, I deserve, I needed to have my ass kicked. Like I would, I'm 38. If I could meet my 18 or even 24 year old self, I would whip his ass badly. And, and, and he would deserve it. But anyway, so, so I kind of got, uh, you know, into law school and then I got humbled repeatedly. I was fired from my first, uh, job as a lawyer in the first three weeks like a job is as when I was a summer associate so like it, you can't get fired from that I got fired in 3 weeks why well <laughs> so I wrote about this in my first book uh because I was a ridiculous drunken idiot at all the events like every social event I was just like an unguided missile right mm-hmm. of, of drinking and debauchery all the stuff in my books I actually did and I did it in totally inappropriate places before I started doing it in appropriate places and, um, and it was more like, oh, this is fun and blah, blah, blah. The big sort of uh, problem was one of the senior female associates at the firm or partners at the firm, uh, she was like head of the trademark group or something, she propositioned me and then I did the two worst things you could do. No. I turned her down.
0: And you told people. <laughs>
1: That's exactly right.
2: Exactly <laughs> Hell right. hath no fury, man. <laughs> if I had done any other combination, it would have worked. If I would fucked her, I could have done anything I wanted. Uh-huh. If I would turned her down and shut the fuck up, yeah. I'd have been fine. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, I did the worst, dude. The worst. Which should give you the idea of not just what type of person I was, but what an idiot I was at that point in my life. Like were, had, were you
0: idiot, or were you? Were you an idiot, or were you in some way self-destructive, self-sabotaging? Oh,
2: not in some way. I was going to say self-consciously yeah. or unconsciously uh, self-destructive. No doubt. No okay. doubt. Right. Totally. Because you're um, too smart for that shit to be accidental. Yeah, but I'm also stupid at that point. Because what twenty-four-year-old is not an idiot? There are some. There are a lot, especially twenty-four-year-olds who
0: who have had to survive. Yes, and I d- hadn't at that you point You were in my life. entitled, yeah. I was that's, very insol- entitled. I didn't, yeah.
2: well, it was funny. I had, came from a family, I wasn't real rich. So my mom had no money, but my dad had a bunch. So it was like, I almost got the worst of both worlds. I got like, I had two narcissistic parents who didn't pay a lot of attention. They weren't, no one hit me or put anything on my butt. That wasn't that sort of abuse. But like, <laughs> like, like that that abuse isn't so bad. No, like it was n- none of that yeah. sort of abuse. It was just the, yeah. the, the sort of standard low-level abuse you get when you have narcissistic baby boomer parents. Right. You know? uh, you know, they, they don't pay attention to you. They don't care about you that much. There's not a lot of warmth and affection, et cetera, et cetera. And they were divorced? Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah obviously. Yeah. Uh, from when I was very young. Um, and so, right, so I, I, had, um, I, I had that sort of, I had the arrogance and the, um, and the sort of entitlement that comes from kids who have money, but I didn't really have any money. You know, and so it was like I saw that world and I I guess I kind of wanted that world to be mine, but it wasn't really mine. You know, I was poor most of the time or poor enough, like not not real poor in the real scope of the world, but white white guy poor. Right. Yeah, Yeah. and I was in the same kind of situation, hanging out
0: with with kids who had a fuck of a lot more money than I did, and they're like, hey, let's go skiing. Let's
2: go sailing on my dad's boat. And like,
0: I can't fucking afford to hang with you
2: guys. And I would just be like, my whole strategy that time was like, all right, fuck it. I'll just go and figure out a way around it. And I would always figure out a way, whether it's usually I would – I would create a mess for someone else or someone else would have to pay for it. (laughs) Uh. These weren't productive, positive ways. (laughs) These were sort of destructive, either self-destructive or... I mean, most young guys are sociopathic in their behaviors, mainly because they're young guys. Even though they're not sociopaths, you're just... You haven't developed and your brain hasn't developed. You haven't mm. developed empathy. You haven't mm. developed. I mean, that's natural. You're full of testosterone. It's natural for a young guy. Yeah. But then on top of that, if you put the fact that like you come from parents who didn't socialize you well yeah. and didn't care about you, it makes those things a 100 times worse. Right. right. And so I definitely came out of that space. Right. And so, um, right. So I had the sort of self-destructiveness that came from being ultimately alone with Sort of the relationships at that point are supposed to be the most meaningful in your life with your family, and uh, and and the sort of you know the issues with whatever self loathing or, or pain that come from that, and I didn't address them of course because I'm an unsocialized young guy who was very smart, and so what I basically figured out was how to project all those issues into drinking, partying, women, whatever. Right. Um. And so what happened was after law, so I got fired from that, and then I uh, that job. I didn't go in. And that became a huge famous thing. Like, like I wrote an email about my friends about turning this woman down and getting drunk and all this other stuff. And that email, of course, went viral. And every law firm in the country read this email. By so name? It like, you, oh, it had my name, name then, on uh, it. Oh, no, super specific. Her name? Yes. Oh, her name too. Oh, yeah. Which is it's funny because she wanted to sue me and the firm wouldn't let her because they're like, if this happened, you're going to lose and we're going to look worse. Right. I actually heard this from... Another partner at the firm. Years later, what
0: an interesting way to enter the legal profession. With the, I mean,
2: with a bang. Like,
0: hey, I'm here. <laughs> yep.
2: Enter and then also exit to <laughs> <Do> never return. <laughs> well, right. who right. knows? And so, uh, so I couldn't really. I, I guess I could have gone back. I mean, I could have been a public defender. Or I could have been a jag lawyer. But I like I hated it to be. So begin you with. were
0: no wait. You got kicked out of law school at this point. No, no. no. They just...
2: thought about kicking me out, but I kind of made the the very clear point that they had no basis of jurisdiction to right. punish me for something that happened at a job right. that had nothing to do with duke and if they wanted to kick me out that it would get way worse for them mm-hmm. uh and so like it was funny like the dean uh, of students like uh put put me through an alcohol and anger management class that i never went to but she like told the whatever board i don't know that i did i don't know um and then like signed my name on some doc and i told him like i don't care whatever you have to do to convince your boss, it doesn't matter to me. I'm not going to create a fight, but if you bring the fight to me, I promise you, you won't like what happened. Right. And so they backed off real quick. Um, like all ac- academic institutions, they want no press that's negative. So uh, so I graduated from Duke, got my JD, etc. cetera. Um, then uh, afterwards, my friends and I, there was like eight, nine of us that were best friends in law school, and uh, almost like a little mini fraternity, sort of. Um, it Just as douchey at times. But uh, so we all went to different cities. And, you know, like when we were in, in at Duke, we, the only good part about Duke is that it's 15 minutes from Chapel Hill. Chapel Hill is amazing. Really? Amazing girls. Because it's like 65% girls, yeah. 35% guys. And the guys are these foppish-haired, douchey, North Carolina frat boys. <laughs> and the girls are these smart, awesome girls from all over the country. Uh, and it's just like, yeah. I mean, it, you want to talk about a great mating market? It was, and here I am, like a young, in shape, uh like hot shit guy from law school like I'm better than the like oh dude it was amazing it was like shooting fish in a barrel it was 3 years of awesomeness and um especially for a young young guy and so uh you know we would have always do all these fun things together and then you talk about the next day you know with your buddies you get drunk you fall down you throw up on yourself you hook up with a girl you talk about it with your buddies once we moved to different cities we um you know we couldn't talk about it with each other so we had this email list that the 8 of us would go back and forth on and we would write emails about all the stupid shit we would do, right? And uh, and so I just my emails were really funny, and I hated my job at the time. I was working for my dad, running his restaurant company, and it was awful. And uh, and like it was just terrible. I hated. I lived in South Florida, which is like. Like, I, as, as much of a shitbird as I was at the time, I still actually had substance, both emotional and intellectual. And if you have any substance at all, South Florida is a terrible place to be. <laughs> and so uh, I, I just hated everything about it. So I would go out and get drunk and be self-destructive and be ridiculous. And then write. The, the only meaning in my life was writing these emails to my friends that made my friends laugh mm. and those interactions. And so I became, I wrote really good emails. And all I cared about was making my friends laugh. Like the idea that I would be a writer or could be a writer just never occurred to me. <laughs> Truly. What an organic way to get into it. Truly this. organic. Really because cool. my other friends, by the way, were also great writers. Super yeah, funny. Super smart. Yeah. And and they're like they're dudes. And guys like we break each other's balls. Like if sure. if something sucked, like they're like, What the fuck? Don't waste my fucking time ball <laughs> or they'd write emails back making fun of my emails and it was you know. So perfect it was like, writer's workshop. Exactly. Perfect. It is the perfect writer's yeah. workshop. It was. It was an anvil of iron yeah. that I was forged on. That That's my voice was forged fantastic, on. Fantastic. And so eventually, my friends started forwarding my emails outside of the group to like their friends at their law firms they worked at or whatever, and then they started getting forwarded, and then and then I started getting my emails forwarded to me from friends in random social groups like right. like guys i went to college with or guys i knew from you know like my cousin or whatever and they would be like yo you read this email about this drunken guy it sounds like you and i'm like asshole scroll down look at the forward or the scroll down through the headings look at the initial person who wrote it i wrote that and this is remember you gotta remember this is um, 99 or this is uh 2001 ish yeah. this is pre myspace pre facebook you remember yeah. email forwards when people used to do that yeah. shit yeah. instead yeah. of spamming your facebook wall they, yeah. they would spam your email and um, and so I still do, man. I'm old. I'm old school. There
0: you go. I remember like the internet arising in '92. Yes, of I was in San Francisco, and it's like, oh, this is going to be big. I got to call. Didn't it. think I should invest in it. You no. know, why I didn't would have you any do that? Money, you know, but I was like, this is going to happen. Um, anyway, so, so so your shit's coming back to you. Yeah. So
2: it's starting. It's spreading like a virus. Yes. And which, which like, I was like, oh, you know, it must be pretty funny. I don't know, whatever. It never occurred to me that anyone outside my group of friends would think it was funny because I thought there were too many inside jokes and it Uh was, and I thought everyone else did this and everyone else wrote these emails to each other. So it was like, I'm not, I'm not a comedian. I'm just funny, you know, for my friends. I'm not even the funniest of my friends. So it just never occurred to me Mm -hmm. that what I was writing uh, had any value outside that group. So uh, then my dad fired me from the family business. Yeah. Which is a whole separate story. And I was kind of depressed and like didn't know what to do and one of my friends called me uh he's actually now a senior editor at real clear politics which is like you know a huge political site right and uh he called me up and he's like look tucker you're obviously not very good at law and you're not very good at business at being a son right 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 don't have good relationships with your family but he's like the two things you've trained for you're just you're not good at at least at and interacting in a normal corporate environment doing yeah. those things. Yeah. He's like, what you are good at is writing funny stories. Yeah. He's like, these emails are the funniest things I've ever fucking read. He's like, yeah, yeah, I know we break your balls. And I know, like, there's one or two other friends who wrote shit that was just as funny. But he's like, the way you write, and, and not just what you do, but the way you write it, he's like, I've never seen this before. Nothing like this exists. You need to do this. And, and, and I'm like, I don't know. He's like, Tucker, people are forwarding your emails all over the fucking country for free you know like without being paid or like asked to do it because they're that funny like the fact that you've made something that has spread like this mm. means something this is what you need to do and i was like it was one of those moments where i was like you know like sometimes you you have to have someone tell you the most obvious thing in your life sure. for you to see it
0: dream interpretation <clears throat> yeah. right and yeah. it was
2: like okay and then I put up a like a little I'd spent the week learning how to code HTML. This is back this is even before GeoCities, I think. I think GeoCities had just launched then or or it was maybe like you no know, GeoCities existed, but it was like it was uh it was real crappy. So and, and I didn't even have enough, I think maybe to do a page it wasn't it was before it was free or something. I can't remember. For some reason I had to learn how to code HTML. Uh, which is like if you the basics of HTML are actually really easy. And um started coding and uh put up my sites and, and actually it's funny. What i designed looked basically exactly like tumblr now i mean of <laughs> course i'm sure the back end was totally different right yeah. but it was basically tumblr right and it was just the text stripped of, of almost anything else yeah. and uh and that site took off and then mtv came and they found it and filmed like one of these true life things about me i'm an internet dater or whatever because one of the first things i had on my site was this like a joke i put up called it like a date application page where girls could like fill out a date to uh, uh, fill out a, a page an application going to go on a date with me and they were all like I, it was multiple choice. They were all like ridiculous things like what are we going to go on our first date? Pick up a stripper and go to a gun range and you know whatever. Yeah, yeah. And so all I was hooking up with all these random girls. It was I mean this was okay Cupid before OK Cupid. And um and so they filmed that and then people came to my site and no one cared about this date application page which I was using to get laid. Uh, it was like all my stories that were there too and they just took off and then a girl that Miss Vermont sued me. This girl I dated in South Florida.
0: Oh, I read about that mm-hmm. that's right that was I, the i didn't put that together that, that was, was the you. first right. first
2: amendment case that really had anything to do with the internet and like that like dude this is pre-nsa pre-9-11 Man, you
0: stepping shit over know, and over again no oh, it was right after 9-11 but
2: it was like basically what happened was a judge some podunk judge in south florida issued a prior restraint uh ruling against my website which is like unheard of in the history of american jurisprudence Prior restraint means basically you you're not allowed to say what you want to say. Like right. you're prevented from saying right. it. Which is you can't the only reason you can really do that in American law is if you're like releasing national security secrets like the names of spies or shit, right? Anything else you can say it and then you have to bear the consequences of right. it, right? right? She got a prior restraint. So this is the front page of the New York Times. This was like every news organization covered this. My shit went through the roof. I couldn't even pay the hosting bills. And then from there, it was like, it's not long story short, I became Tucker Max, the author, but kind of a long, boring, meandering path until I hope this air beer and hell comes out. So the, a the publisher contact you? Oh, yeah. At that point, it? oh, I, I left all that stuff out. Like, I went to publishers. So my buddy's like, you need to be a writer. Um, By the way, great buddy. Yeah. You owe I'll, that guy oh, I like do. a bottle of he, wine. Of course, of yeah, course, of yeah. course. Yeah. Um, uh, so he... Uh, after I put my stuff on the website, or before I put it up on the website, when, when someone says, you have to be a writer, your first thought is, well, I need to get a book published, right? Mm. Not, I can just put stuff up. So I actually left this part out uh, this, uh, in this story. So what happened was I sent, I, I got you know, the book of, this is, again, 2001. I got the book of agents and publishers, whatever, There's a print book of this. And I sent, like, query letters with, like, three of my stories or the five of my emails every agent i could find i didn't care what you said your specialty was children i didn't give a shit you got a <laughs> query letter for me every publishing company i don't care if all you published were computer manuals you were getting something for me like thousands thousand. Probably a thousand. oh no doubt yeah and i got you know 10 per, only 10 percent responded and they were all rejections but it was funny is of those rejections something like i think four or five actually took the time to write a personalized rejection letter Very like nice. this is the worst shit i've ever read you're a terrible human <laughs> you're the opposite of what a writer should be all this shit <laughs> really oh Did no say no those? doubt oh seriously oh, i hope you got them framed I, I actually have a, a couple of, of those not those but rejections from publishing houses uh, later on yeah. where people are like you know i don't see a market for this or whatever yeah. um uh but anyway so then i didn't know what to do at that point so that's when I learned HTML and put the stuff up on a website because, like, I don't know what else to do. Ah, okay. And then and then okay. I put along with the stories because at first no one cared about the stories because how was anyone going to find them? Then I put up the dating application page, and that was to get girls. I was living in Chicago at the time. I, you know, I left uh, Florida, living in Chicago. I had no other way to meet girls, so I kind of, you know, Match.com sucked. I put up these other things. And then I just started going. And um, yeah, and then from there, I, like, I realized it was a business. And then publishers came back. After MTV and getting sued, publishers came back to me. Yeah. And it was like, uh, you know, Bafangul, right? Yeah. But I was still like, and so it took a couple of years, book done, and then Beer in Hell. And that hit the bestseller list because I had so many, I was the first blogger really to go blog to the bestseller. Uh-huh. Uh, me, and, uh, actually, the same week, I think, uh, the book Julie and Julia. Right. Do you remember that? Yeah, like the I mean, woman who read the movie. Really right. So it, she yeah. and I actually were the first almost exactly the same times first blog to book first uh, blog book bestseller first blog to movie cuz her movie came out right when mine did right. that was based on my first book right. um and anyway so and it was one of those things where i got no attention no book reviews nothing still made the bestseller list cuz of all the fans i had on the internet right i sold like 5000 copies the first week which is enough to make the list and then, um, and then it kind of dropped off and it went down to maybe 900 a, a week sales. And then it started picking up and up and up and up and up and up and just word of mouth and word of mouth really on my website. Cause I had a ton of content free. And mm-hmm. so I was always doing things. So people were always finding it various ways. And there was a way for you to read a bunch and like, Oh, this is amazing. I'm gonna go buy the book. And then from there, now three million, you know, four books, three million books sold, all that sort Fantastic. of stuff. Fantastic! Yeah, That's pretty nice. Holy shit. And
0: do, do they translate them into
3: foreign languages?
2: Yeah, Beer and Hell. So Beer and Hell got translated to about 30 or 40 different languages. I wonder how it works. In not well. Chinese no, it's not what? well because I know because uh, the follow-up books have hardly been translated in languages at all. Mm. But the problem is, so my humor is just so, it's so contextual yeah, that a lot of people do Yeah, and wordplay and... A ton of wordplay yeah, in mind. It's so And a ton tough. of references yeah. that... So actually, uh, when, I, when Beer and Hell came out in Germany, the publisher flew me over, because they're big book buying culture in Germany. Yeah. And, and so they flew me over to do like three days of tour, and there was this really cute young uh, reporter who, who kind of did an um, interview with me. She's like, I read your book in, in America when I was in grad school. Loved it. It was amazing. Read it in English. She's like, I just read the German version. She's like, not good. She's like, it's not going to do well. Uh, and I was like what, what do you mean what like, she 's like well it 's translation she's like, german just doesn 't have the words that that America has for cursing and all and she 's yeah. like you know so many times in the book you basically call a dude a bad ache and and she 's like that's just it just doesn 't resonate she 's like you 're such a creative cursor, and we we don 't translate whatever and then there was other things she was saying like and i didn 't really understand what she was saying i 'm like, What do you mean this attitude and like whatever and she finally got really frustrated with me, and she 's like ah, Hucker, you're just so american <laughs> i was like and she didn't mean it as a compliment but i was like that's the name of my autobiography it's just so american yeah. yeah yeah um and i still don't really know what she means i i guess what she means is just i have a worldview that's so so arrogantly and stupidly optimistic and endearing i mm. think is what she really meant and that just it's impossible to translate that aesthetic or that emotion
0: yeah know? yeah i think you're right i mean i'm I often take it as a compliment when people tell me I don't seem American. Yeah, you know, because I've lived outside of the U.S. Yeah. for so. long.
2: Oh, I would peg you a peg you as a Canadian like that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't say a boat. Well, uh, yeah. right. Right. no, and
0: I'm not. I'm not nice enough to be a Canadian. I'm, I still have that American
2: dickishness. But That's true. I, I That's don't, true. I, you don't meet many angry Canadians. No, even mild until they
0: get drunk. Oh, right. You know, we've I spent two summers in Vancouver. Man, they howl in the streets like fucking <laughs> monkeys when they get drunk. They're fucking crazy. <laughs> Hey, have you have you read uh,
2: Henry Miller much? Um, I read, like, Tropic of, I guess it was cancer yeah. in, like, high school. I actually, I might be the only young guy ever who was bored by Henry Miller. Really? Yeah, I mean, I guess maybe I, I was just early enough, or ju- came along just close enough to the advent of online porn, that I was no, like, eh, like, you know, yeah, right, yeah. this is not new to me. I
0: was just thinking of Henry Miller in terms of, like, how, uh, you know, w- when you write, And and tell me if this is true in your case. I I don't know, but it it seems to me like you are, and I haven't read a lot of your stuff, so I'm not an expert. But it seems like you're a lot more thoughtful in person than the persona that you present in your writing, or at least the public perception of the persona. Well, definitely
2: the public perception, right? But that's just media, and media perception has its own sort of life and its own its own needs that it meets. Um, You know, the stuff that I write, I feel like if you actually if you are experienced in life and you read it, I think you'll see there's multiple levels and the subtleties and you'll see all the stuff there. I didn't necessarily, like, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and be like, oh, you know, I put all this sort of stuff in on purpose and blah, blah, blah. That's not really true. Uh, my The way I write is, uh, like, I, I make a conscious effort to whenever I don't know what to say or I'm unsure, I'm just like, what what's the truth? What's the raw emotional Truth Mm. of what I'm trying to say, Mm. even if it's painful, even if it sucks, and like the more painful and the more shitty it is, the more I might uh, attack it indirectly or make jokes or whatever. But I always put it there. It's Mm. all I don't run from anything I was feeling or thinking at the Mm. time, even if it is a little bit shallow or whatever. There's, I mean, that's the funny thing is I can always tell when I get interviewed by media people if they've read my books or not just by the type of questions they ask and Mm. the, the tenor, like if they're combative. And they're very much like, well, don't you think you degrade women? I'm like, well, you obviously haven't. Like, and then I'll, of course, play the trick with them. What story do you think degrades women? And yeah. then they'll, well, all of them, because they haven't read anything, right. because that's they have they have uh, an issue that they're projecting onto me, right. and I'm I'm just a vehicle for their emotional right. issues, right? right? But then the ones that read it usually have questions that are like, um, you know, you know, I, yeah, there's things like, uh, you know, they ask things that that, that are just. I don't want to say smarter, but that are just like very much like, you know, in this story, when you talk about this girlfriend, like, you know, what were you thinking at the time or whatever? It's not just the sp- specifics of the story. It's that they are actually engaging the ideas and the emotions in the stories, which are there. They're just not the predominant thing because most of the predominant stuff are fart jokes or puking or falling down or whatever. Right. And, um, yeah, I mean, that's, I think, look, you Half my fans are women, and you can't—it's tough to trick women with written stuff. You can trick young guys to some extent. You can't trick older, more intelligent women with stuff that's written towards men. And, uh, and not that I was ever trying to. I, I, didn't, I never wrote this with any other goal than to make my friends laugh. And the, here's what, what, the thing. You what, can't lie to your friends. Right. You can't bullshit your friends. Uh, So that's why my stuff is so emotionally authentic and honest. Mm -hmm. Because you started out in a confessional mode. With guys who wouldn't let me lie, who would call my bullshit. And guys
0: who knew you so they were able to call your bullshit. Exactly. Really interesting how how that, you know, the trajectory of your entire career started off and it sort of just follows this one line that you started. Yeah, more open and honest. You're an extremely lucky dude.
2: Uh yeah, here's the, you won't ever find someone who's successful who didn't have some luck somewhere. That success yeah. is not about luck because, like I mean, I hate the you know, you know, success is preparation or luck is preparation meets opportunity. But there's a, a a truth to that trope, and and it's that everyone in life has situations and opportunities, whether they're positive or negative, multiple ones throughout a day and throughout a life. Mm. And the question isn't. Could you be lucky? The question is, what do you do with the opportunities, good or bad, right? And so, I mean, look, here. the reality is there were eight other dudes on that email list, and three of them, at least, are funnier and better writers than I am. Like, there's a guy uh, who I quote extensively in my stories. His nickname in my stories is Slingblade. This guy went to law school with me and, uh, and now works like he I mean, has a very prestigious job, whatever, right? And a lot of people say, I like his stuff better than yours in my books. And they're right. He's funnier. So why am yeah. I the famous one? And he's because not. you were lucky
0: enough to get fired from your job. You were lucky enough that your dad fired you. You were lucky enough that your law career got derailed pretty early. So when I say you're lucky, and earlier I said you step in shit a lot, right? right? Because stepping in shit is considered good luck by Jews. Right, right, right? And But it's one of those things where you're like, oh, fuck, and then it turns out. It leads you to, you know, riches and wealth and fame. Like, it looks like failure, but, well, but follow it no, no, Hold on. It could have been.
2: Yeah, it could have been. So, sure. look, the guys, there are people in the, in the exact same situation as me, obviously not directly, but close enough, yeah. that aren't ever going to sit across the table from you during a podcast because they didn't ever pick up the opportunity and run with it and work their ass off on it, you know? And yeah. that's, that's what I did. Yeah. You know, you, and that's what yeah, almost right. everyone risks, successful. For sure. Everyone successful has the same story, is or some similar story. Virtually everyone. Like I, you know, I found this opportunity and I made it work. And the narrative, this is called the narrative fallacy. There's so I'm not saying you're doing it, but so many people will look at me, especially young writers, like, oh well. You know, I can't do this because I didn't have this and this and this opportunity and that right, opportunity. I'm right. like, that's such bullshit. No, you're right. Where I started, you, you almost couldn't write a story that, that would bring <laughs> yeah. me to where I am that people would believe. It's not a believable story. Yeah. You know?
0: I like the narrative fallacy. That's a, that's a really yeah. good concept. I read an interview with uh, Paul Newman years ago. I think it was in Playboy. And he said, you know, he said, you, you look at my life and it seems like everything was planned. There was no plan you know this is just how it happened the same way it happens to everybody else it just in my case it you know this is where i led it, it led to you know but yeah there's no there are a lot of guys who are as good looking as well, Paul Newman
2: and whatever. because you know why is cuz the people who make it are the ones you focus on and celebrate yeah, and think exactly. about and analyze right. you don't think about the guys like i wish i knew enough about the history of hollywood cuz i could rattle off i guarantee you 10 actors that should have been Paul Newman, but why, right. and why not? Yeah. And you don't talk about them, yeah, you know
0: well, to me, that does get back to the the role of luck, right, because i I agree with you, yeah. there's preparation, there's energy in your case, I would say, probably as much as anything else, there's courage because you are, mm-hmm. as yeah. you say, when you're in doubt, you go toward truth, even if it makes you look bad, even if it scares you or you know depresses you or whatever, as long as you're going toward truth, and I think that's where a lot of writers or – fail yeah. Because, especially in this era, I think we're in the era, and, and this is something we can. You can't hide anymore.
2: You can't hide anymore. I mean, you can't trick and pe-
0: anymore. And there's so much high quality plastic bullshit everywhere. Right. You can't trick people anymore. That what it's people, all designed to fool people. Yeah, exactly. The whole world is designed to trick you. And what people are hungry for now is someone they can trust. Right? So that's Someone's where you really come in. That's where. People you like, come in, yeah. Well, to some extent, I, right. I hope so. Joe Rogan, a friend of mine. I don't I don't know if you've ever met Joe. I, I've
2: actually rolled with Rogan. Like uh, We trained at the same gym oh, okay. in he's well, you know He's a monster. Him very well. yeah. How bad. I may know he's amazing. Yeah, he amazing. was like Massachusetts champion. Yeah, but Taekwondo you know? is bullshit. Oh, oh that was I'm Taekwondo. Talking about right, no, I thought it was Jiu-Jitsu. Uh, no, I don't, maybe. I, I'm pretty sure it was Taekwondo. Uh, I'm talking about right now. Like He's a Jiu-Jitsu black belt and a high-level black belt. He can, like, just rolling, just Jiu-Jitsu, he can beat a lot of guys in the UFC. He's just He's a wonderful guy. I
0: I I have rarely met anyone as generous and gentle as he is. Who could kick my ass in a second. Dude, I'm a fighter. Like, yeah. I am
2: like I trained at this. Yeah. I fear very few people. I'm not afraid of Joe, but I know if I got in a fight with him, he would just. Because I, I have rolled with him. Yeah. I have yeah. felt you him felt put him. his hands yeah. on me. Yeah. And I'm like, this guy could tear my arm off and <laughs> kill me with it.
0: No, he reminds me of a chimpanzee. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. But, he like, every time I give him a hug. And, oh, dude. Last time I hugged him, the I bear. actually, I said to him, like, you know, I would love to massage you someday. He was like, "What did you say?" But it's true. His his musculature is Dude. so well developed. And I've done massage therapy. I used to. Uh-huh. One of my many strange jobs was um, massage therapy for fashion models. Sounds strange. Sounds good to oh, me. yeah, yeah. But the the male models were great because uh-huh. their their musculature is so developed that uh-huh. it's really easy to distinguish muscles yeah, and get yeah. under this one. And, uh-huh. You know, yeah. it, from a, a you know, it's like. Working on a car like an old Chevy where yeah. the engines all laid out, yeah, you and it's know exactly easy to get there, to everything, yeah. and, uh-huh. yeah, as opposed to now it's all computerized and tight. That's a female model. Yeah. You know, it's all like eh, small and yeah. hard to find things. Um, yeah, but yeah, he's he's a great guy. I was out shooting with him in uh, Duncan Trussell a few days ago. We went to a firing range. Uh-huh. Doug's got, uh, Joe's got all these um, elephant rifles. Now these massive, you know, as he would he's uh-huh. huge. Yeah, that was fun. Two comedians and me at a firing range. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, anyway, what are we talking about? What's your process? You're, you're like, is writing hard for you? Is it easy? How does that work?
2: Anyone who says writing is easy, I think is a liar. Mm. You know, or they're writing bullshit. You know? um, <laughs> what's hard
0: about it? Just focusing? Getting your not answering email? Like-
2: no, I can do I mean, I have enough self-control and discipline to do that. Um, You know what's hard? When I have a great idea and I'm rolling, it's not, not hard at all. What's hard is when you know you've got an idea or something there, but you haven't worked it out and you don't know what it is or what it looks like yet, and you're grappling with getting the malformed idea into a coherent sort of piece for other people. And if you have a clear path forward, it's just doing the work, and that's easy. Um, it's more like resolving those those things because – Great writing creates something that didn't exist before, you know? And, and whether, whether it's telling a story or explaining a concept or uh, making you know, some argument or whatever, you are, cre- you are an artist in the truest sense of the word. You are truly creating something out of nothing. And that's re- any creative process is really hard, doing that, to make something out of nothing but with what makes writing so hard is that it's so easy to not do it right, or to do it okay, or to do it half-assed, or to to not, not, nothing's perfect. But to not get it right, to get the idea right, or the story right, or whatever, it takes so much work. And, and I, I think when when going, it takes me so long, and it's so frustrating and so difficult when I don't know, I know I want to say something, and I know it's good and valuable, and it'll be valuable to other people, but I don't know exactly how to say it, so and how, I have to work how does through that process. it come you in your
0: head? When you say, I know I want to say something, is it, a, is it a feeling? Is it a like an emotional thing that you can feel in your head? Like, I know what that is. There's a little bit of sadness. There's an acknowledgement of something there, but I don't know how to articulate um,
2: it. You know, okay, so here's a good idea, or a good example. So the stuff I'm doing... So Jeff Miller and I are sort of writing a book called Mate, and it's going to essentially be the definitive guide to sex and dating for young guys. And, um, and it seems like that might be easy to write. It's actually really hard because, um, even though there's nothing out there that really clearly, uh, objectively, scientifically lays out sort of what human mating is, how it works in a context that's really accessible and understandable to young guys. Um, that doesn't exist and it seems like oh how hard could that be it's actually really hard to make stuff simple because to make stuff simple you've mm-hmm. got to cut away all the complications and all the bullshit and all the things that don't matter and all the fancy words that you use to either make yourself sound good or to camouflage the fact you don't actually know what you're talking about or whatever and you've got to strip something down to its core basic essence yeah. right and then you've got to understand it from the perspective of someone totally different than you what does this look like to them? How do they understand it? And to do that, you've got to fully understand something. You've, you both have to fully understand the idea and you have to fully understand how to communicate it in a way that's totally clear to someone who has no idea what you're talking about. And that is ex- simplicity. The best writing is really simplistic and the hardest thing to do in writing is make it simple.
0: There's some quote, I don't remember who it was, but she said, I'm, uh, I'm sorry the story's so long. But I didn't have time to write a shorter
2: one. Yeah, right, right, exactly. Or Mark Twain's famous quote, like, it takes three weeks to write a great, impromptu speech. Um, you know, like, right. The, yeah. the, that, that's that's what always makes me laugh about my books is, um, you know, it's, see, at first glance, it's like, oh, well, I've gotten drunk before. I've fallen I down before. Do I've on my, <laughs> yeah. I, I have better stories than him. Yeah. This guy's made millions of dollars. I could write books like this. And you know what's funny is a lot of people have better stories than me, no doubt. Like, I'm sure your stories are amazing, right? Um, But, like, very few people can write well. can tell a story well. Actually, I'm not that great of a writer. What I do really well is I tell a great story. A story yeah. that's funny and compelling and engaging. Yeah. And even if you weren't there, it makes you feel like right. you're there experiencing it, right. laughing along with the person, et cetera, right? Yeah. And that is a skill that is extremely difficult. And I, in fact, yeah. I know how difficult it is. And I'll tell you why. Because since I've started and become famous and sold books, I, there's, my agent says he's seen 20,000 uh, uh, pitches. It's seen or heard 20,000 pitches that are like some variation of I'm the next Tucker Max, I'm, you know, the lawyer Tucker Max, I'm this time, whatever, right? He's not accepted one. It's like they all suck. Uh, I've seen probably 10,000 blogs where people trying to do their version of this. I've never seen one take off ever. Yeah. And it's not that people don't get drunk and have good stories. Right.
0: Well, also, look, you to be the next Tucker Max, fuck that. You be can't. be the first something. Be the first what you are, because as long as you're derivative and you're trying to copy something, like you're gonna suck. Come yeah. on, it's bullshit. Because yeah, it doesn't have what we talked about earlier. It's not authentic. It's not true. Right. It's not honest. Because you're aiming for
2: someone else's audience, of course. But it, like, so, but even if you take the next Tucker Max in the broadest sense, meaning meaning that like I'm gonna be a young person doing fun, crazy things and tell my stories about it, right? Which is that like. You could be a girl who does totally different things and, you know, whatever, right? Um, that person really doesn't exist, you know? Like, there really aren't people. Um, there, there are, so, you know, the New York it, we know it's true because the New York Times said it, that I invented a literary genre called fratire, right? I didn't uh. say this. The New York Times <laughs> said it. I invented a literary genre. And so there's tons of, there have been tons of, of, of books in this genre. Yeah. And the only ones that have really taken off are ones that, you're right, are very different than mine. Mm. very different they're same sort of a a, a raw authentic unapologetic masculine voice sort of Um, but nothing really like mine at all because exactly what you just said the people trying to imitate me they don't they're like oh like I'm awesome I got drunk I fell down blah 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 and I'm like that's not what my stories are like that's not why people like my stories they like them because I'm honest and whatever but even people in the fratire genre there just aren't many because people don't I think what actually someone else told me this. They're like, Tucker, what makes your stories great is not that you're a great writer or even that you're a great storyteller, although you're very good. They said you make something so hard look so easy. You know, I mean, like there are so many people who had don't read and read my books. Like they buy, they have, they have Dude. two books in their mind and that's it. <laughs> or, or I hope they start beer in hell in the Bible. That's all they read. So like I've, I've made, it's right. Beautiful. Good, good pairing. Like, yeah. uh, oh, I've seen that on bookshelves. Really? P- pictures of people will tag on Instagram all the time. Tons of them. And so like what I've done, what I, and God, you know, God strike me down if I ever claim to have hey, done this on it, purpose. watch right, it, watch exactly. it. This lightning got a little close Right, exactly. Uh, Thor might be mad if I lie about this, but, um. God knows I didn't do this on purpose. Right? I, again, my, my job, my goal was to make my eight friends laugh. And over email, you got no time to waste. Mm. Right? So that's why my stuff is so simple and so crisp and clean and doesn't wander or meander. Mm. It's funny plot point. Funny plot point. That's it. Nothing else. Story or humor. And and maybe some emotional moments. Very few. One every three stories or something. You know, Or one little aside that's interesting. That's it. Um, and very few people can do that because that looks so It looks so easy, but it is so hard to be that simple. Yeah. It's sort of like someone who's great at anything, they look like they're not almost exerting any effort, especially yeah. the finished product. Like, right. How many people have seen Picasso's and been like, I can do that? Right. No, you can't. No. Because it took him 20 years to where he could, or it took Mark Rothko as a better example. It took Mark Rothko 20 years before he could slap two colors on a canvas and make it look amazing. Or even like a more pedestrian
0: example of that. Think of how much energy it takes to keep your apartment clean and organized and spare, Uh right? Because entropy sets in. Shit piles up. uh, Stuff accumulates in the corner. Same thing in writing. You know, it's like, oh, I'll add this and I'll add that. And then there are all these extra words. One of the things about Twitter that's cool is, you know, you run out of characters, even on the micro level. And it's like, oh, shit. That's too many. And then like, oh, I said exactly the same thing. I needed to say, yeah, it's all that
2: fat gets into. Plurals made
0: people better writers and better communicators. Yeah, absolutely, because it's it's like enforce the Hemingway rule. It is, you know, absolutely.
2: No, no doubt. Like I, that's um, that that, that's like exactly what I was going to say was um, right. Well, I guess we talked about it. So what? Here, actually, here's what it is. Most writers. Don't write for other people. They write for their audience. They write for themselves. Mm. Right? And so it's like, oh, this is interesting. And oh, I'm gonna say this, this makes me look clever. Mm. And I like this turn of phrase and whatever. And their book or their blog or whatever is about them. I got lucky at the beginning that my writing was never about me. It was always about making my friends laugh. Right. I enjoyed it, make right. no mistake about it, right. or else I wouldn't have done it. Yeah. But I didn't hit send unless I was very confident. Everything in that email was going to be relevant to the people reading it. such a good point about
0: respecting and loving your audience more than yourself mm-hmm. that's such a good fucking point because so many people say i want to be a writer and if you dig in why they want to be a writer because of ego because oh, they want to be a writer oh. they want to tell people well, that's they're it right
2: no listen listen exactly you nailed it listen to the words they're saying yeah i, I can tell you like so I, i've had thousands of people come to me and and I, like i want to be a writer how do i do this i want to publish or well, whatever And so like I can tell you by the way they phrase the request, whether they'll succeed or not, if they say I want to be a writer or I want to publish a book or I want to be an author, I know they're going to fail. If they say I want to write, then I know they've got a chance Mm. because if you want to write, you care about the process Yeah, and getting the process right gets you the result. But But, but
0: even then, I want to write. My question is, then why haven't you? Well, right right exactly you know the
2: whole that that, that's a a sort of a separate like like, publishing and writing are two different things well so like that's why i usually ask him that i want to be a writer then 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 my next question is why why do you want to write you know i say why do you want to write and then if they don't say because i have something i have to say or i have to say this or uh i think i can help if it's not about the audience Right. right if it's not about both you have something you enjoy doing but it's about the audience then you're probably going to fail. Yeah, you know?
0: and it's a shitty job. I mean, unless you're super lucky and ring the bell, as you have, and I have to a smaller extent, it sucks. And that's a one-in-a-million chance.
2: But do you know why I think it sucks to most writers? Because they don't write shit that's relevant to anyone outside of them or a very small circle of people. Yeah, but also it's it sucks historically because, no you doubt. know, the publishing oh, yeah, business is yeah. But the world has changed. I'm audience, talking about today. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no doubt. So like for most of people your life for most of them. your life, and even a lot of my adult life, that's true, but the world has changed. The world's changed going forward. You need no more permission. You need no more high investment. Oh yeah. No more gatekeepers. Yeah, yeah. So right now, the only thing right. stopping you from being a great writer, author, but et cetera, et cetera, is writing things that people care about. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And I mean, and, and that are short enough for the ever decreasing attention span. No, of your not audience. necessarily true, man. Medium you think
2: is, so? is blowing up and medium has Tons of long pieces. Uh, Long-form journalism, uh, actually the economics even around long-form journalism are being sorted out. And what's crazy is you can make a lot of money doing that. Mm. You you can make good money. And you're not going to become a billionaire. But you can make 80, 100 grand a year doing that. Mm. But you have to write about shit that's interesting. And you have to write about stuff your audience cares about. And you have to do a really good job. Right. You know?
0: Yeah, I mean, it sounds like the way you've been talking it sounds like you can consider yourself to be a teacher and you want to be that teacher that people love going to class. For mating grounds. Yeah, for the yeah. thing I'm doing with Jeff Miller? Right. Oh, I fully, yeah. listen, I'm not doing this.
2: This is sort of like, so, so a lot of, as soon as we launched, all, all these Manosphere blogs were like uh, either upset or talking about us or whatever and they are lumping us in with Manosphere stuff. And I'm like, no, no, no. I'm sure the mainstream media will do that and lump us into the Manosphere. I don't see us as a Manosphere site at all. Because to me, aside from the fact that manosphere sites tend to deal with social political issues and have a certain emotional bent that's like angry that I don't think we'll have, that distinction aside, manosphere sites tend to be about the writer. I'm gonna tell you why this social structure is fucked up. And they might be wrong, they might be right, whatever. But it's they're talking about their issues. Yeah. meaning grounds is about teaching young guys how to effectively have get into and have relationships with women. Right. Right? Because that's what guys want. Women want it too, but guys are so fucking lost and there's no resources yeah. that really explain to them how to do this in a way that's not only effective, but also ethical and also something that can be proud of and that can work in a very direct, honest way, right? And, and so from day one, hour one, everything we do on the site is... How is this going to be beneficial to our audience? Like you'll see in our podcast, it's going to be totally different than this podcast because like your listeners like this conversational back and forth and it's ideas here and ideas there. Our podcast is, I know your ideas really well, but every question I ask is going to be basically about pulling information out of what you know for young guys to use, young lost guys to use. And hopefully other people too. But we know who our audience is. We know how lost they are. We know how little they know. We know what questions they ask what information they need. And so everything we do is about m- meeting that need first. Yeah. Once we meet that need, then, you know, you know, let's, let's show off a little bit, do this fancy video, cool podcast room, all this other stuff, all this other stuff that's about us. Right. That's cool. But that's always got to be secondary right. to meeting the needs of the audience. Right. I mean, right. it's the same thing with relationships, man. Like I explained this to guy. it took me a long time to understand this. As soon as I understand it, I understood it, understand it. I'm a writer. I'm a fancy writer. Um, <laughs> As soon as I understood it, then I, my entire life with relationships changed. As soon as I understood that a great relationship is about meeting the needs of the other person and vice versa, I was like, oh, well, that makes total sense. And so now, like, my relationship with Veronica is, like, so easy and it works so well. It doesn't mean there aren't points of friction or whatever, but I always understand that I have to meet her needs. And she has to meet mine.
0: Which lines up with what you're saying about writing because it's about exactly. your audience. What's exactly. your audience need? Exactly. Not what do I need. Exactly. exactly. As long as you see a relationship as being about your ego and your needs and all that, then it, you're going to have problems. Huh? What Were you getting laid in high school? What was your... Um, yeah,
2: I was... I, so, I, uh, okay. Um, I think... I forget. I think I maybe slept with five to ten girls by the end of high school. So, which at the time, like, got... If if I was in high school now, that number would probably be 10 to 20. Um, but, like, because uh, I think cha- things have changed a little bit. Because I was in high school right during the AIDS scare. Uh, so uh, there was that weird right. window where, like, girls thought you could get or- AIDS from oral sex and et cetera. Um, and so, uh, yeah, so um, I definitely, I, I got laid enough to where I wasn't, like, an, I didn't feel like an outcast. It didn't affect my sense of self and identity. And I wasn't bitter and angry. But I didn't get laid as much as I wanted right. or even, you know, you know. Yeah like a, an amount that I would consider acceptable.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if you remember this, but you and I spoke on the phone or online at, like 4 years ago. But
2: yeah, cuz Melissa Flashman was oh, like th- Yeah. Yeah, cuz uh, yeah, yeah. I went to high school with her. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that was a
0: strange thing. Uh, yeah, she was she was our agent for this book. Uh, we we've since moved to a different agency, uh, but uh yeah, that was a that was a strange connection.
2: Yeah, pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, Melissa was one of the girls that like like you could tell like she didn't belong in Kentucky either. Like neither do I. Like Yeah. yeah no, I she's like like how did this girl get here? Like she's yeah. Uh, yeah. she's obviously very smart, you know, yeah. right. Did her yeah. homework. Yeah. Yeah, no, I was uh, I was a uh, like I, I was sort of a I was a weird kid who was a loner but not an outcast. So mm-hmm. like, you know, I played sports. So it's in high school if you play sports and you're good at sports, it's tough to be totally unpopular, right? right. right. And uh and then also I was like smart and I, you know, pretty charismatic and outgoing. Um, you know, I was all AP classes, whatever. So I was like the athlete who was in AP classes, but I didn't really like either group. Mm. Like, I wasn't really one of the athletes, you know? Um, I was, I don't know, too smart for them, and they were a little bit too weird for them and whatever. Like, I knew them. I was friends with them. I like, hang out with them, but, yeah, they weren't really my crowd, right? right. And then, right. then the AP class, like, nerds were, like, too awkward and too, like, socially ostracized. Right. And I wasn't, like they weren't really my crowd either. Yeah. And so it was like, I was, it wasn't that I was too cool for school, but it was like, there weren't, at least where I went to high school, there weren't a lot of people like me. Yeah. And I think also, you know, there were, of course, my issues, that, you know, like I just didn't like most people and blah, blah, blah. And, yeah. and I, you know, yeah. I mean, when you don't get properly socialized by narcissistic parents, it's not easy to make a lot of casual friendships, you know, like I had two or three really good friends and then that was, But I've always been good enough with women where I wasn't starving, you know? Yeah. Um, I
0: went to three different high schools. I went to two. Oh, did you? You moved. Yeah. 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 That's an interesting thing. Two. And then actually,
2: before high school, I don't think I went to any school for more than two years. No, junior high. I went to junior high for two years. Before junior high, I'd never gone to like a, a... School. like it was every year it oh, was a different school that's something yeah, we have in common yeah uh, i'd
0: lived in 20 houses before i got out of high
2: school yeah so like when you come up in that environment there's sort of two paths you can take you either yeah. become sort of a loner introvert or you become the ridiculous gregarious outgoing You're right person do you right? have siblings no. no 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 See, i have
0: a younger sister yeah and she it's exactly what you just said i became the guy who was like The way I dealt with it was like, I don't give a shit. I'll have lunch by myself and I'm cool. I've got a book and I'm smart and I'm gonna fuck you guys. You don't want to be friends with me, you know, whatever. Fine. Uh, My sister needed it. And so every time we moved, we moved to Jacksonville, Florida, for Uh example. And uh, within like a week, she had a Jacksonville accent,
3: you
2: know. (laughs) It's <laughs> just as yeah, a sign yeah, yeah. of like trying to. You have fit to isolate in. or become a total chameleon. Yeah. To deal with the emotional trauma and stress of, yeah. of moving across multiple multiple groups all the yeah, time. Yeah. Humans aren't designed to do that.
0: No, no. Yeah, I mean the the most important thing to human beings to, to happiness is community.
2: We're the social ape. Exactly. We don't exist right. without other humans. Yeah. I mean, you raise a kid in a closet; it's a, basically a dog.
0: Short of waterboarding or or right. you know electrical lo- uh, you know shocks to the testicles. The, the greatest torture you can do to someone is Isolation. solitary confinement. Oh, that's,
2: yeah. you know, what's funny is uh, that's you, the Russians, uh, did, you know, those, um, those saltwater uh, float things. Do you know what I'm talking about? You know what?
0: I was going to go do that today, actually. That, Dude, the so they, the they guy, have it in Austin. Yeah, do he you know, contacted me to offer me. The float.
2: Soviets developed that in the I, I could get my history wrong. I'm pretty sure this is right. Soviets developed that in the 50s as torture. Because like like they would like abduct you somewhere and like knock you out with whatever like sedative, and then you'd wake up inside a neoprene suit in one of these salt tanks right. and sort of suspend it, But you couldn't the things were behind you, you couldn't really reach them, and there was a big tank, so you couldn't reach the walls. Like and it's the thick salt water, so you don't feel anything. Yeah. And people yeah. would go fucking insane. Yeah, insane. Like they would literally drive in 36 hours. People would go crazy. Yeah. It's well the,
0: I mean I don't know about the the Soviet connection with whether it's independent or they use the idea, but the in the at least in the West they were invented by a guy named, a guy named John Lilly, really right. interesting cat who was uh super like off the charts genius right. who was working uh in the Bahamas with dolphin communication. This is oh. in the late fifties. Right. Um, yeah, he's one of these guys who like, you know, graduated with a PhD at 16 right, right, from right, MIT. Right. So he was again. probably real normal. Yeah. <laughs> really, well, and he got even less normal as time went Wait, by. Wait, this isn't
2: the dude who was into the dolphin sex experiments. or The dolphin talking with the dolphin lived with the grad student and she started jacking it off and stuff? Uh,
0: no, I think that came later, right. so to speak. Do you but, know what I'm talking about? No. Uh, no. This, this is one of the first guys. They made the movie The Day of the Dolphin is about him. Okay. Uh, with George C. Scott. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. when he found out that the U.S. Army was using the dolphins in Vietnam to kill people right. and blow shit up, he quit because they were using his research to, yeah. you know. So he quit. He moved to California. So this is like 64, 65 sort of psychedelics coming in and all that. And he wanted so he decided he wanted to uh, to answer this major question in, in psychology, which is which is is consciousness reactive or does it exist without any stimulus at all? Right. So in other words, if if nothing's coming in, would you even be aware? right because a lot of psychologists argue that consciousness is only reactive it's your awareness of the colors and the sounds and the temperatures and all that so he invented these tanks as a way to eliminate all incoming sensation to experiment with this and then he was also into lsd so he started taking lsd and going into the tanks he wrote a book called the center of the cyclone about this experience and then he was another movie uh this the the American huh. Werewolf in London or something was based on, uh, you know, playing with this research. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So maybe the Russians took it from him they or might have, invented yeah, yeah. it. They the Russians were doing weird shit. We're talking yeah. about uh, the Soviets had an experiment. When was this? It was early 20th century. It was Stalin. So it must have been in the 30s. They had one of their top uh, primatologists. They, they sent this guy to Cuba with a bunch of chimpanzees right. and Russian women. Seriously to breed super soldiers crossing chimps and humans
2: so they didn't know you can't do that <laughs> well, they, didn't, they, didn't. they were working on it man <laughs> <I mean.
0: laughs> all right there's a joe rogan there yeah, right. there somewhere i'm not gonna make <laughs> no I was okay so here's the question I, w- I wanted to ask you when you were talking because you reminded me of, of well it doesn't matter uh when do you live your life do you
2: perceive your life in terms of narrative?
3: In other words, right. do
2: things happen to you as stories? Okay, so, well, I mean, you're a psychologist, so I don't have to explain the relationship between identity and pe- like the way you, you, people have identity, and that really a lot of times defines who they are and what they become, et cetera. Um, but I think, first off, identity, having a big identity, um, and to me, in a lot of ways, uh, people look at identity and narrative. Or, uh, identity and narrative work very similar with in people psychologically. They're not the same thing. But um, uh, I don't, so to answer the question, no, I don't have a narrative, like, as a story. Um, I think I do have an identity. Everyone has an identity. But I, I think, like, for a long time, I had an identity, like, that was, and most people's identity is very unconscious. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of my identity was toxic and corrosive to me very subtly. And so that's why I mean, I've been in psychoanalysis for three years now. And that's part of what I'm trying to do is really unpack that and really understand what my, not who I am, but what my unconscious identity is, what I think of myself in ways that I don't realize consciously. Mm. Right. Um, And because I I mean, I see this all the time, this is why you can't talk about facts with uh, religious people or Republicans and Democrats can't have discussions because those aren't discussions of facts. Those are those are fights of identity. Right, you understand this. I, mean, I don't right. have to tell you. You're, right. you're, you know this stuff. But um, so so what I try to do is I try to make my identity as small as possible. Mm. Right, because if your identity is very small, like I'm I'm Tucker Max, I'm uh, a human. Um, you know, I, I have a relation. I'm in this relationship with Veronica. I'm you know whatever. Right, then then you are free to do a lot of things. Mm. You're free to change your mind. You're free mm. to evaluate new evidence. But if you yeah. think I'm a Republican, right, then uh, then you won 't look at the evidence about abortion or gun control objectively, even if you want to because it creates a cognitive dissonance in your right. head right? right and so um so i i 've desperately tried i 've learned i 've just learned about this last five years or so and i 've really tried to kind of bring my identity down as small as possible because especially the business i 'm in art and and like the two big things I do I create content you know, mm-hmm. and I, I like a big angel investor entrepreneur now. And it's like those, you have to live on a day-to-day basis with not just failure, but risk of failure, right? And so if my identity is I'm a successful entrepreneur, I'm not going to take risks, which means I'm going to be a failed entrepreneur, right? And if my identity is I'm a big, famous, successful writer... I'm not, like, I kind of retired from frat hire, so I have to do something. I don't have to, but I want to do other things. Yeah. And it's like, if my identity is I'm a successful author, I'm not going to do a brand new project where I have a risk of failing. Yeah. Because what if I fail? Then it, that means I wasn't a successful author. That means I just got lucky the first time, whatever, right? Yeah. And so I've really been trying to, to, to you know, to, to make those, those changes so I'm freer to not just do other things, but learn other things and accept other sort of um proofs or facts that I haven't, you know, like, like, I mean, that's, that's sort of, you know, the joke that Maynard Keynes made is, um, he changes opinion pin on something. So someone, it like, oh, well, you, last year you said this. And he's like, well, when the facts change, I change my opinion, sir. What do you do? Right. For most people, that's not possible to change their mind. Right. They're flip floppers. Well, they can't because their identity is, you know, if you, if you're a proud American, then mm. you, uh, can't accept that the American government might be fucking you in certain ways. Yeah. Even though that really the American government as, as a bureaucratic edifice is very different from the American people in America as a country. But most people tie those together. Right. And so most people won't look at, oh, wow, like our entire Congress is captured by Wall Street, right. you know, and they're never going to, uh, you know, pass law. Not until there's a major fucked up, awful crisis that, that caused people to go hungry. They're not going to pass laws. Or punish Wall Street for things they do that are not even criminal. then, dude.
0: Because that is, people are going no, hungry. no. Then it and will because here's I it depends you.
2: which people. People
0: they know have to here's, go. Hungry. Here's why because people are going hungry right now. This is the only benefit
2: of democracy. One of the only benefits of a democratic system is that um, is that it gives it, it, it creates a more resilient system because what happens is. Even if the bankers have captured all the current all of current Congress, even if they've captured the political system in a lot of ways because they have so much money, they can just buy politicians if you have enough people upset enough, then enough politicians will respond to the people because they're ultimately answerable to the people now the way the system works you can bread and circuses you can convince the et you can convince the people that either you're not answerable or everything's fine or whatever yeah. but a bad enough crisis where enough people are hungry, enough people are out of work, politicians will respond. It just, it's going to take – they'll never do it until they absolutely have to. Right. And, of course, then the the problem is does it come too
0: late, et cetera? Well, I don't think it will. I mean, but. well, global warming is – I think about that a lot in those terms. Like they're not – nothing's going to change until – Shit gets so fucking bad. Oh, n- that, nothing like, ever changes until shit gets Yeah, bad. Wall anything. Street has to be like six feet
2: underwater. Just, and I then mean, they'll in, think about in it. individual lives, things yeah. don't change until, the, until the, the... You're
0: right. It's a human characteristic. It is. We're human. very adaptable, but right. only when the shit has hit the fan.
2: The pain of changing, yeah. the pain of staying the same must be greater than the pain of changing. Same, same with happens.
0: relationships. Like, people don't get divorced until it hurts so bad. Yeah, I didn't start psychoanalysis yeah. so until I was 35. See that's why I say you're lucky that you got fired from all those jobs. You're correct because you got forced, got forced to deal with this your shit. shit. Yeah. I'm exactly. right. Yeah. Yes. I. One of the worst barely. things that can happen to you is nothing. Because. Fuck, so that's a quote. Man. Here, here's that's a quote. Here's
2: the reality. <laughs> um, well, it is. Put it on your uh, on your I'm Twitter. Yeah. When you Yeah, when you're, uh, when you're uh, uh, talking about this, but uh, no, like uh, I am. Um, as much as I like, it's funny because you're like, oh, yeah, you're so courageous with your art, etc. Yeah. And you know what's funny, man, is like, I guess I am at times. But the reality is I never would have become an artist had I not been fired because I never would have had the courage to leave a $150,000 a year job. Yeah. Because who does it's, that? Yeah. That's not rational, yeah. actually. Yeah. It's really not. It's, it turned out to be the right, right move. I made a combination of luck opportunity, chance, made it into the right move. And I'm yeah. so glad I did. Right. Yeah. Because yeah. I like, I, I probably would have put a bullet in my brain if I'd stayed in the law firm for 10 years. Yeah. I don't know. I would have become a coquette or I don't, something awful, some dysfunctional shit, awful person. I don't know who knows. But like the reality is most people don't make that decision. That's why the other day on that
0: masculinity panel we were on at this paleo conference, I I really wanted to make a point of talking about gay men and gay people in general, but gay men particularly who are forced to go through this process of acknowledging who they are and dealing with their shit. And as a straight white man, I recognize there's so much that I can avoid dealing with, Mm -hmm. that I could just waltz through life and that that's not necessarily a good thing for me. That I would be better off if I, if the more shit I have to face, the smarter I get, the, the more refined I mean, that's, that's my mind says, gets. That's a
2: basic biological principle. Yeah. Within a certain range, the more stress the system faces, the better, stronger the system becomes. At least acute stress. Chronic right, stress right. will right. fuck you up. Yeah, but, you know, but within like, a certain range. Uh, acute stresses. Yeah. yeah,
0: experiences, you know, like I've been to prison, for example. That really changed me. Yeah, no Scared the fuck out of me. I would hope. I show up at prison with no. You'd
2: be a sociopath if you didn't get afraid. Oh well, prison, whatever. Two yeah. years of three squares a day. No, well, it wasn't
0: two years. It was a long weekend. Right. But, but still, but I showed what? up. I was wearing shorts and no underwear, man. <laughs>
2: <laughs> medium,
0: medium security. I'll prison. tell
2: you what. That actually would be a great though. You, you brought that. I didn't think about this. That would be a great uh, sort of uh, longitudinal uh, psychological study. Is how gay culture changes in the next ten years. Uh, how much better it gets, how much healthier it gets um, because of all these guys coming out of the closet and, and I, I mean, I'm no expert on gay culture um, and I'm not, I'm not even going to be like, oh, I've got so many gay friends. I, like the gay dudes that I know, at least that I know are gay, um, I don't have a, a bunch of gay friends, but enough. And I hear the same shit from them. Like uh, they, they kind of hate how toxic gay culture is and they talk about it all like, different ways, different forms, but I hear it over and over and over from them. And I ask them, and like it's hard to get specifics out of them, and I don't really know how because I'm just—it's just a subculture. If you're not in it, it's hard to whatever. But that's actually a super good point. That would be super interesting to study. Like, does gay culture get way healthier and way more, whatever, whatever word you want to use, does it get better because it had to go through? It, it, first of all, is able to go from um, oppressed and and sort of looked down upon to mainstream and accepted but also individuals. Do mm. individuals get better and does the culture get less toxic because they had to go through this stress mm. and the stress helped them improve instead of whenever you have to hide something about yourself, anything, gay, straight, whatever, like that's, that's toxic uh, and, yeah. and, and, and destructive to your, at least your unconscious, which always finds a way into your conscious, right? Yeah. Yeah. that actually be super uh, interesting. Yeah. I wonder. Listen, I, I I
0: feel like I'm dominating our time here because I. Could, All right, I not we'll go just take forever. a yeah, yeah. Like, well, Let's take do, a break. And do then... stuff? Yeah, I don't know what the. Well, no. Your let's take schedule's. a break
2: and then we'll get we'll start doing mine. And then we'll do yours. All right.
0: Uh, next, I know you're doing this thing with Jeffrey Miller. Do you yeah. have any any? Are you thinking of doing more books? Or what are you? So, uh, well, yeah, we're what? gonna do a book. I, mean, called, I know you're doing this. Yeah, the, the book, the book, book is about. called Mate, and it's uh-huh.
2: gonna be gonna be basically the definitive guide to sex and dating. Are you self-publishing this? Doing that. We haven't actually talked about it. I'll be ha- so you we can do the sort of the announcement on your podcast. Oh, really? uh, like, I have a publishing company, and I, I oh you have your own company. Yeah, no, uh, I like oh. I actually with distribution through Simon and Schuster to like bookstores and like I, like a real publishing company. Not mm. not I don't have trucks and whatever, but um, but how many publishing companies do Harvard University Press doesn't have any you know distribution? They go through Simon Schuster, whatever. So uh, I, I have a publishing company. I easily could have done this myself, um, but uh, we decided to actually. Uh, go the traditional publishing route and we did it because we wanted to build out we, don't, we didn't want to just write a book we wanted to do an entire information ecosystem um, we wanted to you know, website YouTube videos podcasts uh, like every way that guys because most guys don't read even if we write the definitive book on sex and dating for guys there'll be a ton of guys who have never read before who will read this but there will still be a huge maybe half our audience will just never read the book mm. so we need to go where guys are and guys watch video, guys listen to podcasts, guys do, guys definitely consume media, mm. um, and, and just books are the, the the media they consume the least. So we're going to be on all me- the same basic information, all media, all forms. However, guys want to consume media, we're going to be there, uh, sort of explaining these sort of things to them. And so that takes money, not a ton of money, but mm. enough. And then you know, just a professor too. And so he's like, oh, wouldn't it be great to have a bunch of money that you know whatever? So we got uh, we actually sold the book in November. Uh-huh. To, uh, Little Brown. Uh, Malcolm Gladwell's editors actually are. Editor. Oh, really? Yeah, right. It's pretty really funny. Uh, and then also the other, ha- the other half of the equation is um, we're, we're, we don't... We want to sell a ton of books, but we want this to be a mainstream book. Um, we want this to be what to expect when you're expecting for young guys mm. um, about dating and relationships. And so to do that, even today, self-publishing it, it's a much harder uphill battle in media. Um if we do it if we have little brown behind us mm. then the new york times and new york Girls, they have to take us seriously right whereas if, yeah. if i was the my publishing company was the the publisher they could ignore us for far longer right you know right all so, right cool
0: all right great well, let's take a break make sure awesome. everybody's still alive in the living room he said, baby
1: what's the big deal feel you, what you want? Say what you want to say You're gonna die one day For example, I could kiss you Just because I want to What's the difference if you turn Soft touch, why don't you let it out?